Prepare our hearts, O oh God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and also do it. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. So we're on week three of this sermon series called Messy Spirituality that's based on a book of that same title by a man named Mike Iaconelli. And I don't know about you, but I've been really impressed with how Tracy, Pastor Tracy, has stood up here and made herself very vulnerable, sharing some pretty amazing things about herself to all of us, things that would be hard to admit in, in confidence. And here she is in front of all of us just letting, letting us know that she finds herself generally not enough, not spiritual enough, not a good enough spouse or a good enough parent, but generally just not enough. And I, I've been so impressed with her deep sharing that this week when we look to our past, I thought to myself, well, you know, what is there in my past that I could share with all of you that would make me a little vulnerable as well? And so I decided to share something about myself that I doubt any of you would have guessed, and it's something that came out of my youth. If you remember looking back, or if you're a youth looking at yourselves in high school, for a long, long time, youth have divided themselves into social peer groups or cliques. And the names of those groups have changed depending on what decade you were in high school. But really, you know, they were jocks or athletes, geeks or nerds, stoners or delinquents. The groups remain the same. So in trying to make myself a little vulnerable, I thought I'd share with you what clique I was a part of in high school. And I really doubt you'd, never, you'd ever guess or predict what it was. And I hope I don't surprise or shock or disappoint you too much. But in high school, in my past, I was a nerd. <laughs> That's what the 9 o'clock service did, too. I just don't get it. So I didn't shock anybody, huh? I went to a very small high school. There were just over 400 students in the entire school. There were about 100 students per grade. And the, same, the school was in the same town where Dartmouth College was. And the school district had this informal agreement with the college, or actually it was a formal agreement, and it started in 1964, long before anybody was doing this, before I was even born, and basically, the school never developed an AP credit class program. If students got to the point where they could handle college-level work, they were just sent across the street to the college to take those classes. So as a freshman in high school, I found myself taking French at Dartmouth College. By my senior year, I was in French and Latin. In my free time, I hung out in the Foreign Language Resource Center in our high school, you can sort of see a theme of language here. I wasn't lonely, not at all. The school district was very academically rig rigorous. All the professors' kids from Dartmouth attended there. And so roughly the top 10 to 15% of us were all in this group together. You had to have good grades to be in our group. You had to like studying. We also had a lot of fun. We ate pizza, we went to movies, we had parties, we dated, 
We broke up and we dated someone else within our group. <laughs> and we had our standards. Not only did you have to have good grades, but if you rebelled too much or if your grades slipped, if you had a reputation we didn't like, we excluded you. Today's scripture tells the story of a woman who has a reputation, a woman who experienced seclusion. So hear now this story from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 5 through 30. So he, Jesus, came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews did not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I, that I may never be thirsty or have to come here and draw water again. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? 
Then the woman left her water jar and ran back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. This is the word of the Lord. Speaking of women with reputations, women who were excluded. I can't think of anybody more than the Samaritan woman. Her story has been dragged through the mud at the base of that well. I mean, just think about it. A woman at the well, at the heat of the day, at noon, she was alone. Clearly, the other women of the village have shunned her, or she would have been there at the dawn with the rest of them. And how many husbands has she had? Five husbands? That's a lot even for today's standards. <laughs> she must have had some pretty loose morals. And now she is with someone who's not even her husband. Whoa, this story may need a PG-13 rating. That's the way we read that story for so many years. And that interpretation was passed down through generations of scholars and churches. The poor Samaritan, Samaritan woman's name was sullied. Her reputation was shattered. Until recently, when scholars said, let's wait a minute. We're reading way too much into this story. Today, scholars think that we have given this woman a reputation that maybe she didn't quite deserve. I mean, we really have no evidence that dawn was the only time you were supposed to go to the well. And in fact, when you look back at Genesis, in Genesis 24, Abraham's servant meets Rebekah at the end of the day at the well. Rebekah, remember, is the one who ends up marrying Abraham's son, Isaac. In Genesis 29, where Jacob meets Rachel at the well in broad daylight... Or in the second chapter of Exodus, where Moses meets Zipporah and his sisters at a well. We have no, no idea what time of day that happened. I mean, people seem to come to the well at all times of day in Scripture. I think they went to the well when they needed water, whether that was morning, noon, or night. It didn't matter what time of day. If you needed water, you went and got water. And when you look at the motifs, the theme of light and dark in the Gospel of John, those who walk in the light, literally and figuratively, those are, are the ones who are the positive characters. The negative characters are the ones who skulk around in the darkness. The Samaritan woman encounters Jesus in the highest, strongest light of day. This was not shameful, a shameful encounter that needed to be covered up. Not only that, but this story of the Samaritan woman includes the longest recorded conversation that we know of that Jesus ever had. And it was with a woman. Not only that, the conversation was very theological in nature. He engages her on an unusually high level. And she shows her wit and intelligence well beyond that of anything that the 12 disciples ever showed. She is no ordinary woman that the scholars have dragged through the mud. But what about her morals, everyone asks. 
She's been married five times. That's a lot. But why do we assume it's because she has loose morals? Her previous husbands could have died. The mortality rate was quite high in that day. And we know that there were marriage laws that required women who, who were widowed, if there was an unmarried brother in the family, to, to remarry that woman. There's lots of explanations for this. Her previous husbands could have divorced her. We have no idea what the backstory is. We do know that the punishment for adultery was death. So if she had committed adultery, if she were engaging in a relationship outside of marriage, she most likely would have been stoned, and we would not have her story in scripture. So why do we assume that this woman has such a scandalous past? Her five marriages speak more to some kind of tragedy than a past filled with promiscuity. In her lifetime, the Samaritan woman has to overcome whatever tragedy has caused her to have five husbands. But in death, she's also had to overcome the reputation that biblical scholars have saddled her with. So whether you're a woman in the Bible or a teenager, people sure can make quick judgments about who you are and just how to label you. You know, I made my high school years seem pretty ideal. And like most people's high school experiences, when you look back, there are ups and downs. There are things I struggled with and I'm embarrassed about. I struggled with one person in particular. In this very small high school of 400 students, there was another student with my same exact name. No relationship. Same exact name. And every September, the first day of class when teachers took role and came to me, they would pause. And the teacher would look up, and with a question in their voice, they would say, Lisa Moulton? And I would answer, the other one. I knew what they were thinking. Usually, the teacher would look a little relieved and then move on. You see, I was enrolled in the higher level classes, and the other Lisa Moulton was not. From what I heard, she was in the lowest tier. And I assumed that the teachers were reacting in surprise at seeing their, her name show up on their class list until they realized that I was the student on their roster. And one time when I went to check out library books, the librarian told me that my account was on hold due to unpaid fines. That never happened. <laughs> After we did some digging, we found out that it was the other Lisa who had library fines. And apparently, she had no ability to return books on time. The two of us could not have been more opposite people. And the only time I ever really saw her was when she was sneaking out the back door of the cafeteria. That's where the kids who smoked would go and hang out. She supposedly, the rumor said, smoked more than just tobacco, if you know what I mean. Not only that, I heard she dated anyone and everyone. The rumors about her past really put a dent in my reputation as I struggled to keep my identity as a nerd. I wasn't very happy about it. 
Whenever I had the chance, I very enthusiastically and loudly made sure that people knew there was a big difference between us. She had a reputation, and I made certain that people knew it. But the problem with rumors and reputations is that you never know just what is true. You can ask the Samaritan woman if you don't believe me. As an adult, I've come to wonder if the other Lisa really behaved the way I thought she did, and even worse, the way I said she did. As I look back, despite the fact that I freely shared with people what I knew about her, I really only knew two things firsthand. One is I once did get blamed for library fines, but who knows whose mistake that was. And two, I did see her go out the back door of the cafeteria. I never saw her smoke anything. And despite her reputation as someone who would date anyone, I can't remember ever seeing her even holding hands with anyone. Yet I perpetuated those rumors. I labeled her. I was a mean girl, and I made her reputation worse. I created a mess for her. It's something from my past, something I did that haunts me to this day. I just hope and pray it doesn't haunt her. The Samaritan woman, whatever it was in her past, whatever tragedy happened that caused her to marry five times with maybe an impending sixth, when she encounters Jesus and he shares with her living water, she abandons her water jug at the well. She lays down her past and unburdened runs back to her village to share that living water with her neighbors. We all have a past. We've all done things and experienced things that we really don't want to revisit. Many of us probably had labels, perhaps from high school, and reputations that were applied to us that weren't actually true. But our encounters with Jesus, encounters with his message of grace and forgiveness and love, are the living waters that transform us that allow us to lay down our past, to lay down our reputations, our bad choices, our labels, our burdens, to lay them down and run out into the world to share that living water with others. Amen. <laughs>